Welcome back to Across the Movie Aisle, presented by Bulwark Plus. I am your host, Sonny Bunch, culture editor of the Bulwark. I'm joined uh, today by Peter Suderman and Chris Orr, who's filling in for Alyssa on her maternity leave. Uh, Chris, Peter, how are you guys doing today? I'm doing very well. I'm happy to be talking about movies with friends. Uh, first up in controversies and non-troversies, we've got another sort of non, non-fungible tokens, <laughs> NFTs, uh, as in the pieces of digital art that, through the magic of the blockchain or some such algorithmic nonsense, uh, exists in a unique form somewhere in the digital ether. There's just one of them, just one of them, folks. Um, we're talking about this today because Ghostbusters Afterlife is offering 10,500 such unique and original uh, creations as part of an auction, if you've ever wanted to own a unique image of a miniature Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Well, I've got good news for you. Um, I think the easiest way to describe non-fungible tokens is that they are an effort to create scarcity in the inherently scarcity-free digital realm. Uh, The whole promise and peril of digital media from an artistic point of view is that replication is unlimited and virtually loss-free. A digital copy of a book is a digital copy of a book. Ditto albums, ditto gifts, ditto movies, ditto whatever. Uh, An NFT, on the other hand, is nominally one of a kind. And I say nominally because nothing can really stop people from sharing screenshots of the NFT or making copies of the NFT and distributing them. It's not the image that is non-fungible. It's the bit of code that, again, ties it to uh, the blockchain or the Ethereum net or whatever whatever nonsense uh, is, is managing all of this. Uh, uh, people don't really care about the code, though. They care about the image. Um, so as a solution to the age of mechanical reproduction, in other words, uh, NFTs are an imperfect solution. Just there, they are. Um, the, you know, Walter Benjamin kind of got at this uh, in work of art uh, in the age of mechanical reproduction. We are in an in an age where art, just by its uh, by its nature, can be uh, you know created and distributed everywhere and, and instantaneously. Uh, when I hear about NFTs, it's usually because people are making fun of them uh, as modern day tulips. Uh, they're a fool's investment. They're a bubble. They're a fad. Uh, when they're not. Uh, that is being criticized for destroying the environment due to the generation of carbon emissions needed to mine the Bitcoin substitute Ethereum that is used to purchase these things. I look at this Ghostbusters promotion uh, and I see a a sad, soulless corporate reimagining of what was once a grand, lively, corporate, still, property. Um, But Peter, when I mentioned this topic, you said you wanted to defend the honor of NFTs and explain uh, what they mean to us, the, uh, the, the forthcoming residents of the metaverse uh, one of these days soon. Um, so what am I missing here? Ex- explain explain NFTs and why this isn't a nonsensical scam so that to people be clear, are getting taken for. When I said I wanted to defend the honor of NFTs, I did not necessarily mean that I wanted to defend the specific honor of these specific Ghostbusters <laughs> NFTs, the promotional tie-in NFTs. But yes. look, your, your explanation is, is basically right. Um, NFTs are a unique identifier that cannot be faked because there is a distributed public ledger that allows you to check uh, whether or not uh, a, a uh, the, the the thing is the original authentic thing that the NFT claims it to be. So you can kind of think of it like a, a certificate of authenticity, right? So um, uh, if, if you are, you guys are, are nerds, you are familiar with the collectible card and comic Please. book world, right? Sure. Right. And so you know that like when you, when there are rare baseball cards or rare comic books, they sometimes come with a certificate of authenticity, which of course just raises its own question. How do you know the certificate of authenticity is itself authentic? So what NFTs do is they, in some sense, solve that problem because NF- an NFT cannot be faked. 
it says it like it it is it is publicly traceable um, and visible on the blockchain because that's what the blockchain is, is a public ledger. It shows every single thing that has happened, right? Um, and it is also not In manipulatable. In human history. Right? <laughs> by, by a, so it's not, because it is not held by a singular third party, it is then not manipulatable, right? So you can see, or to the extent that it has been manipulated, it's perfectly transparent what has happened to it uh, because no one, no one sort of owns the ledger. Right. Instead, everybody can kind of see it and is working from the same uh, the same public ledger. And so what that does is it allows NFTs to serve as unfakeable certificates of authenticity for a digital creation of some sort. Now, most typically it has been used for images, but it could be used for something else. Uh, right. It could be used to say bless a particular mp3 or wave file as the original file that right not right. okay not but actually see, the original <laughs> but the one that has been touted as the singular one that this is you're buying something that is unique from the artist but, and so hold it actually this is just the concept see, I, I have a, I have the a question, value though. here I, I, see but i i have a question let me just interrupt and ask ask my question because i i understand what you're saying right there's there you have this file let's say it's an mp3 file you have this file that's the original file this is the one wu-tang clan uh mp3 of this album that that exists the martin uh, screlly wu-tang album that he was the only person who had access to has uh has been compared to an analog nft i'm not sure it's a great comparison but but it in some sense gives you an idea but but here's 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 my basic here's the basic question is how what is to stop people from sharing copies of that mp3 or uh image or jpeg or baseball card like there there are baseball cards that are you know the answer the answer is nothing um, the answer is absolutely nothing. However, uh, in the same way that um, that you might go to a museum to see an original Monet, or if you were a spectacularly rich person, bid millions and millions of dollars to have the original. And on the other hand, you can just Google photos of those things, even very, very high res photos of those things on the internet for whatever you're paying for your internet connection, right? Like the existence of the original never stops some sort of digital copy from being created. And so what what the NFT does is it simply designates a digital thing as either the original or the one that is blessed by the artist as being the authentic thing. And so so that Wu-Tang CD, we know which one is the one that Martin Shkreli got that now the feds have, uh, or no, excuse me, that the feds took from him that was then bought by an by a crypto collective and now is owned by a crypto collective because you know what, guys, this is, this is how this, this stuff is works. So um, recursive. Right. Uh, we know which one is the original, but they, I think there's some legal issues, but there are no technical issues that would stop them from ripping that CD and uploading it to the internet in whatever form they wanted to, putting it, you know, on a on a, a peer-to-peer network um, and making it then available to anybody who had access to that peer-to-peer network. See, but here's, so I guess- But there is my, value my here. So let though. me let me explain the value here. And the value is the same value that is, uh, that is always, the, the value for NFTs, not again for these stupid Ghostbuster NFTs, but the value for NFTs is that what they are is a system of, of uh, creating trust between two parties who don't know each other without a third party intermediary that is controlled by a human being. And so now most obviously the the place that is where like that is most valuable is in financial transactions. And we have, of course, a, a system of third party intermediaries that works right now. We have PayPal, we have Stripe, we have Visa, we have big banks, those what those 
what those financial organizations do is they validate the transaction between two people who don't know each other, which is why you feel comfortable buying from some rando on Etsy or eBay when you are buying that rare Babe Ruth baseball card with the same, with the certificate of authenticity because there is a third party in between you. But what, well, what Bitcoin does, excuse me, or at least what the blockchain does is it creates a distributed system of trust that can be used to match strangers on the internet, mostly for commerce, but also for other stuff as well. And so when we all live in the metaverse, which is which is coming, guys, it's going to happen. When we all move to the metaverse, what we are going to be in is a global and digitally connected economy in which there are a lot of strangers. We already kind of live in this world. There's all, We already live online lives in which we are constantly connecting with and having to transact with strangers in some way or another. And what the blockchain technology, and whether that's Bitcoin or whether that's NFTs, uh, what public crypto is going to do is create a, a, create a, a platform for verifying stuff, for verifying right. digital stuff between two people who don't know each other without a third party that you have to trust and will take a cut because they have developed a reputation for being trusted. So, so Peter, uh, I apologize because I was asleep for <laughs> a large part of that. Um, but fair enough. But I think you don't know a, how you don't have to. But know I how think it there's works. a word. Like... There's I think there's a word for this for valueless objects that we ascribe value to because somebody has told us to and that word is cash <laughs> a, a, a dollar bill literally its actual value is what a fraction of a cent but its actual value is a dollar and a hundred dollar bill is worth a whole lot more and it's worth a whole lot more because we've all agreed it's worth a whole but lot with more. a with a dollar bill there is a third party intermediary which is the u.s federal government and it's a third party intermediary that's an institution uh backed by specific people who in some sense have control over it and so this is why some people so, uh, so you're saying prefer... nfts are better than cash no i'm saying uh excuse me nfts are not necessarily cash right nfts are the the identifier um Bitcoin and and cryptocurrency can be used as currency. They are not exactly the same as cash, although some people think of them as relatively uh, as having properties that are similar to gold. Um, we could argue about whether or not that's true. Yeah. I think it's true well, in some sense, but not all. Well, cryptocurrency makes makes more sense to me because it's it's a thing that people are trading for money, essentially, and for other goods and services. Right. I like I have no I have no problem wrapping my head around cryptocurrency in the same way that I have no problem wrapping my head around gold or fiat currency or whatever. Right. It's just a thing. It's it's a means of exchange. And we have we there is a there's a, a group of people who have ascribed a certain amount of value to it. And once you ascribe a certain amount of value to something and people are willing to give you you know the equivalent in you know again gold or whatever fine i'm i'm like actually i'm i'm actually okay with that here's again here's my problem with nfts is that like i i, I the thing itself the the image or the mp3 or whatever is is the thing that is nominally supposed to be valuable you know you talk about oh well you can you can look at photos of a painting or you can look at um, you know, you can listen to a bootleg recording of a concert and it's the same thing, but it's not the same thing. It's different. It's a, it's a different experience and it's a different actual physical product. I mean, like there's me having an, a JPEG of a Monet is not the same as me owning a Monet in my in my uh, podcast dungeon. So like, let, that's, let me that's, just try that's, a, that's just, a, a different, different metaphor real quick here. And that's that when you have all of these sort of um, 
let's take advantage of the moment kind of pop culture things like the the Ghostbusters NFT. What they are essentially is pogs, and I mean that both in like pogs. a little bit dismissively, but also because pogs and Pokemon and stuff like that, those things end up having value. Now, maybe that Pokemon card that is relatively rare um, uh, doesn't have any real value in the sense that like you can't do something with it, but people no, but it find it have valuable. Value. It does have value. It does have value because people are willing to exchange currency or or bitcoins or whatever for it because there's a finite number of them. There's a limited number of these Pokemon cards, right? Like you have the rare cards and you have the common cards and the common cards aren't worth as much, but the rare cards are worth more. I mean, this is basic. Again, this is like basic uh, economics 101. Once there's scarcity of a thing, uh, it becomes more valuable. Well, but my, again, my whole point with with the NFTs is that they are it's forced scarcity. It's bullshit scarcity. It's like it's like oh we've we've made we've made this one monkey uh, Avi JPEG and you can It's different from all the other monkey cartoon JPEGs. This is an actual thing, by the way. This is a this is an actual NFT thing. You know, the ape uh, collective or whatever who are who got very mad at a bunch of people because they were taking screenshots of the apes and using them as uh, profile pics and whatever. And they were like, you can't do that. That's our that's our image. And somebody had to explain to them, no, you purchased a you purchased a thing on the blockchain. That's the actual non fungible token. The actual image. I mean, people can take screenshots of it, whatever, but they don't own the real one. And I think a lot of those folks were like, wait, this is nonsense. I, what have I, I think, been scammed into? I think the into? question here is which person will become the world's fun, uh, like first funny ape picture billionaire? <laughs> And then when they become a billionaire based on those 28 pictures, which magazine will they buy? Uh, well, yeah. Uh, again, I this is what we're all worried about as uh, <laughs> people who work at Journals of Ideas. Chris, uh, go ahead. Well, all I can say is uh, the closest I've come to following NFTs, I think, ever is uh, when a New York Times columnist back in the spring, maybe March, uh, wrote a column about NFTs and then sold it as an NFT for over half a million dollars. Uh, he did not take the money himself. He, it was given to charity, I believe. Um, but, but that's just, I mean, we're at a point where you can basically say anything in the world, this is the original and you should pay an insane amount of money for it. And that original can be you know, a relatively boring piece, a relatively boring New York Times column about NFTs. And a relatively boring New York Times column about NFTs is not worth $500,000. And I can guarantee this because the author of the piece was not paid $500,000 for it, or even a tiny fraction of it. Uh, you know, so... But as we learned in the French Dispatch's Concrete Masterpiece, it's not what you can... <laughs> it's not what the artist sells it for. It's what the reseller sells it for. I mean, again, this gets to my whole point. Is that, like, I, I, I just... I cannot wrap my head around this this attempt to... This, this again, this essentially fraudulent attempt to create scarcity. That's the issue here. I don't think it's I don't think it's fraudulent. I think in some cases it's silly. And I think many of these NFTs will not hold their value. But uh, you you mentioned we've been talking about collectible cards here. And that's really what a lot of the NFT usage that we're seeing right now is uh, looks like is just collectible cards. And in some sense, sure, those Pokemon cards or those, uh, you know, uh, Magic the Gathering cards that are super rare are truly rare. At the same time, Wizards of the Coast could 
easily print more of those little cardboard things for essentially nothing. And so their rarity is artificially they're uh, enforced, right? And Peter, it's Peter, the same ag- thing again, with NFTs. And, and again, what we are talking about is not a new idea. Like, like we, feel, we feel like NFTs are a new thing. But what we are talking about is paper money. Like, we can print more $100 bills anytime we want. And it will devalue the existing hundred dollar bills. I mean, this is not a so, new. So, concept. so I don't think it's quite. The, I don't think it's quite the same because um, what the NFT does is it is it makes clear that the image or whatever it's attached to digitally is is unique in a yes. way that it is, is it's, so. No, I get that. Right? It's, it's, it's the only hundred. Right. It's no, the only hundred. Well, bill. and then and then yes, you can make a copy, but anybody could see and check whether the copy was the unique original or not. And that's a little different than... <laughs> but it right, doesn't so, matter whether it's a copy. That's, I mean, that's my point. It's, it doesn't matter. It's still it's still an identical digital file. I mean, I well, could take a photo of... This is kind of what I'm saying. A $100 of the, of bill is a $100 bill. It's not... It's not and but it doesn't it's not matter which $100 bill it is. It's not Again, money. It's taking more like fo- bugs. Take, taking a photo of... If I took... If I made a rip of a Blu-ray, right? I, I, and I could say, well, this is now the same as the original Blu-ray. But it's it's not really. But it's that's actually closer to like... I could take a photo of this card and put it on the internet, and then it's the same card. I don't know. This is all scam. But you that's buy a lot of Blu-rays, to. right? Like <laughs> you buy a lot of Blu-rays, don't you, Sonny? Let's all let's let's let's. I think get, I think uh, that's let's get to the incredibly real hypocritical here. here that you're no, buying a lot of Blu-rays. No, but see, no, but see here's, could here's, easily so here's, be ripped because and that could easily be just held on your computer as digital files. But you care about having that physical well, no. that thing that is like that's so here's, not here's, you know that's marked as like this is the thing that I bought. No, but but see, there there is a difference, though. I mean, well, let's let's to use the inflation example. The 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 uh, there is a market for used Blu-rays, right? There's a market for used Blu-rays because what happens is Blu-rays go out of print. So, like for instance, there are out of print Criterion Blu-rays that you know cost two hundred dollars to buy on eBay if you want to buy them. Um, Always buy two copies are... of a Blu-ray when you that buy it from Criterion. That doesn't that doesn't mean that the Blu-ray is inherently worth two hundred dollars. Uh, Criterion could print more of them, and it would lower it would lower the value of the thing. But like the the whole point of the whole reason that those are are more valuable right now is because there's fewer of them because there is actual scarcity of them, and they're they're hard to get to get your hands on, and so they cost more money. But if you if you just had a bunch of files of the movie and you were like this is this is the official Criterion one from Criterion. Here's the Criterion NFT, or here's the identical file with the that's exactly the same, but isn't stamped with the Criterion NFT. Like there'd be no difference between the two. Well, well, let me just. Uh, uh, has either one of you ever purchased or considered purchasing a film cell? Considered it, but have never done it. But I got one that... in my Interstellar Blu-ray. I have a I have a seventy millimeter. Uh, Actually, maybe I have that too. From, you probably I, have it. You almost certainly own it. I I have a couple from Dunkirk, um, which were provided to me by the studio, which was lovely. Yeah. And and I think that's basically what we're talking about here. Is here's a frame, here's a photographic frame of a film, and it's the original, and it's the real one, and you have it, and nobody else has it. And but see, even in that, some even cases, that, though. Even that, though, right? Those are just pieces from other, those. It's not like you have the original negative. 
that was no, shot true. by Christopher Nolan, you have a copy of uh, of a seventy millimeter print that was distributed around the country and shown in theaters. And like there 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 are less there are fewer than there used to be, but there are still like hundreds of those you know prints going around. I like again I, the you, whole thing you're, is you're devaluing my like Dunkirk investment. I'm by sorry. The second. I don't I don't mean to. I you will never be able to retire now, Chris. That's what I'm saying. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry to let you know that. that. All right, let's 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 move on here. Uh, so, what do we think? Is is the state is the state puffed mini NFT scam a controversy or a controversy, Peter? I think it's a controversy on this show and nowhere else. It's Chris. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll agree with that, and but but we'll call it a controversy for that exact reason. I think it's a controversy and a controversy. I'm gonna have both. I'm gonna have my cake and eat it here too. Because uh, it's, it's like a quantum controversy. Con- <laughs> It's 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 a controversy because it's dumb, but it's also a controversy precisely because it's dumb. Because if you went to court and you're like, somebody stole my Stay up Mini NFT, the judge would laugh you out of court. Rightfully so. All right. Uh, if you enjoyed this show, uh, it's non-fungible. Please don't share it with anyone. This is the only copy of it. Uh, please head over to atma.thebulwark.com where we'll have a special bonus episode on Red Notice, the new Netflix original watched by tens of millions, possibly hundreds of millions. Who knows? Uh, people that will be remembered by exactly none of them two months from now. Yes, dissatisfied um, people. <laughs> on to on to the main event. Belfast which was not seen by hundreds of millions of people. Uh, Kenneth Branagh's semi-autobiographical look at the Troubles through the eyes of a young boy who lives on a block in Northern Ireland that's in the midst of being cleansed of Catholics and whose father, uh, though loving, is often absent because he works in England full time. Uh, Jude Hill stars as Buddy. He's not quite old enough to understand the tension between Protestants and Catholics and is shocked to find himself in the middle of a riot as the film opens, soaring pop songs turning into broken glass and exploding cars. Um, Buddy's dad is played by Jamie Dornan, um, uh, and he is resistant to efforts uh, by local Protestants to aid in the cleansing, and he is desperate to get his boys away from a life of running gasoline bombs around to the local hoods. Uh, He doesn't want his uh, kids or his wife to live in the middle of an occupation as well, because that's what's going on as this film uh, as this film begins. There's an occupation of the street by British troops. Um, but his wife and his kids are hesitant to leave the street where everyone knows them, where everyone loves them, where everyone protects them, where their, their, their grandparents, who are played by uh, Judy Dench and Kieran Hines, live. Uh, so it's kind of a classic coming-of-age story about, you know, moving and changing and all that. Uh, it is shot in black and white after an in-color tour of Belf- of the Belfast area from the air. Uh, and the film's only bursts of color come when the young when young Buddy is experiencing the arts, when he's at the cinema to see Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, uh, a viewing that inspires the family to lean forward in their seats as the magical car goes off a cliff is a nice little touch, uh, though a, a bit... Uh, a little, a little, a little melodramatic. Um, or uh, if he's at when he's at the live theater to see a live production of uh, Christmas Carol, the action in front of Buddy bursts into a lively color. It's a reminder of the transformative effect of the arts and the way they can illuminate a drab and dismal world. Um, I feel like this is the first official instance of Oscar bait in 2021. It's a, it's a black and white, uh, artistically minded movie about civil rights that nevertheless nevertheless upholds the glory of cinema and the arts as a way uh, out for striving young minds. Um, and I honestly, I like, I found myself really wanting to like this movie more. I like using, uh, just, I, 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 there were things about it I really liked. I like Kenneth Branagh, uh, in his kind of exceptionally exaggerated camera angles. You know, there are lots of shots from below and lots of, uh, lots of, you know, super close ups. And it's, it's, I, I like, I like what he's doing here. Um, the problem is using the eyes of a child 
to watch the lens of what amounts to, again, like almost ethnic cleansing, is very tricky. And I think Bronick stumbles a bit when he's trying to explain the stakes to audiences. I mean, I, like, frankly, don't know a ton about the Troubles. I, w- I like, I kind of wanted to learn more about uh, what was actually happening in, in the world of Northern Ireland at this specific point of time. Um, and that's a tricky that's a tricky line to walk without being pedantic. Uh, I, I just don't think he quite he quite gets it. Uh, still, it's touching family drama. It's a deeply felt tribute to a homeland that Brana clearly feels conflicted about. Uh, Chris, you went to see Belfast yesterday. What was your reaction to it as you were coming out of the theaters? You know, um, I, I liked it enormously. It's a it's a very good movie. Um, <clears throat> but but I think you hit on something here. I mean, it it. It's trying a little too hard. Um, I feel like as a film, it's a little bit between uh, uh, Roma, which was a masterpiece and and it is terrible, terrible for Belfast that it has to be compared to Roma. Another famous filmmaker making a movie about his childhood in black and white very local and at exactly the same time i think i think and i could be wrong but i think roma was 1969 to 1970 and and belfast is 1970 to 71 so like the exact same moment pretty much there's so many similarities um but the difference is that Roma was told through the eyes of an adult, through the eyes of a young adult, um, you know, the, 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 the caregiver, the nanny. But like, but it enables the film to be more mature. Uh, and, and, and Belfast was a little bit more like Jojo Rabbit in that it was looking at something completely horrific through the eyes of a child. But Jojo Rabbit was a, a complete, I mean, was a, a black, black comedy. And while there are comic elements in Belfast, it's not really structured as a comedy. Yeah. So, so I think you kind of hit on something there, Sonny, that, that, that the, the, the narrative mode of telling this story is a little out of line with the story itself. Yeah. I mean, I, like, I did not really care for Jojo Rabbit because I thought it was... I, I mean, it's I, I inappropriate is the wrong word, but I found it I, I found Taika Watiti's like funny Hitler to be like incredibly uh, distracting. I just like I didn't I didn't care for it at all. Um, and this does I mean, this does something different. I mean, there's there's actual menace to the the Protestant hoods who are kind of running around. I like I just wanted I wanted I frankly I wanted the more from the dad's perspective. I wanted to know what was mm-hmm. going through Buddy's dad's head as as he's getting harassed by local street toughs uh to either contribute money or essentially his children to the cause. Well, and, and, it, and if he had been the principal character, I think it could have been a more profound movie. Yeah. Peter, what'd you make of Belfast? I quite liked it. Um, you know, I, I think it's uh it's a it's an affecting film, um, right? It's like it, the characterizations are all just great, right? Instantly memorable. There's a lot of great performances here, um, and particularly uh, is it Kieran Hines, right? Kieran Hines. Kieran Hines. Sorry, uh, who's I think just, it's Hines. I think it's just Hines. great as the grandfather. He's all he's so good in everything. He's somehow even good in the awful awful Justice League where he plays a CG baddie. Like <laughs> he, like there's something good that pops. It's like one of the few things I like about that movie. Um, now, but the, did the, you? The, you saw him in Rome, here. right? Did you see him in uh, Rome? I've, I've seen bits of Rome, though not. He's, I, he's, I, I, he played I Caesar. Say that I am. 
Yeah. Yeah, the HBO series. He played Rome. Caesar in Rome. I think I've only seen a few was, episodes of it. I have not seen enough to have a, a, a so really it was view. It was the first time right. I'd ever seen him in my life, and I thought, where have you been my whole yeah. film-going life? Like, and wow. He's, he's I mean, he's he's in, in I think he's in Air Force One in the 90s. Um, oh. He's in, uh, as was one he? of the bad guys in the background or something and I uh he's in he's in Game of Thrones he's just so good but like there's so many like great little performances Judy Dench in particular here oh, is just course. excellent right Always. and and in a in a role that on the one hand is like it stands out but it's not showy and she's not sort of showing you how, like she's not there to demonstrate what a great actress she is and you know instead she's just sort of plays this like delightfully uh, warm but frumpy old lady uh, in a way that you don't see too often on screen. I liked the, the movie's approach to uh, to urban poverty, um, or a, a particular kind of urban poverty, in which on the one hand, like, you're supposed to notice that these people, even, you know, well, uh, decades after World War II, are still living in a kind of not quite first world style, right? The, the outside toilets are the most notable hmm. uh, a, a example of this. And yet the movie doesn't sort of like dwell on this as like a deep hardship. It's just sort of part of their lives, right? Because everybody else that they know has outside toilets too. And so there's this kind of interesting thing where it's like, well, we're not going to we're not going to make a big deal out of this. Uh, and in fact, but we are going to say that, you know, there is this uh, this lure that they have because uh, towards to other places where they see, oh, you know, if we went to London, we could have t two toilets both inside. Right. Um, or, and that's or, a big or Canada or Australia. Right. Um, you know, just to see that there are these the different standards of living. And relatedly, I thought the movie was really interesting in that it was a, a movie about the bonds of local community, but not set in a small town. In, in an urban center, right? A, a big, highly populated urban center. So we're all familiar. We've seen the movie about, you know, how it, how hard it is to leave your small town and the connections, right? And that's totally real and totally true. But it's very rare to see that set in a big urban locale. And yet it's real. And I think maybe a little less real now than it was 50 years ago. But you talk to people who grew up in New York, uh, for example, you know, in the 60s, 70s, um, even through the 80s. And they will talk about the their, not just their neighborhood like the name of which you might know but their block their building and the way that like their you know their floor in whatever apartment building they were live they lived in would become an entire neighborhood and world unto itself and that's just something that you don't see very often on screen. everyone everyone who has ever lived in chicago has this story every single yeah. person so I, you know, I also thought, like I said, it. I think the movie is a bit slight. I think there's just kind of not quite enough there to make this a truly great film. It's an enjoyable one for sure. Um, and I think the thing that irked me the most was the was the bit that that Sonny pointed out when he goes when the family goes and sees Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, and it turns into color. And so, first of all, we basically saw the black and white to color gag in the French Dispatch, right? About how I was going to I was going to raise this. This is yep. what you brought up last week, and and it's the same thing, I think, except less potent and with like less depth to it. It's also it's also it reminded me of a tweet. From a couple of years ago where somebody was watching the Oscars when A Shape of Water won and was like, you know, I didn't know about this monster movie with this crazy, weird, like fish monster movie winning best picture. I thought it had no chance. And then I saw the crazy, weird fish monster sitting in front of the television, getting hope from their, for their lives because they were watching old movies. And I knew this one would win. Right. <laughs> and like this, this 
inclusion here. I totally get, like, yes, Kenneth Branagh, who's making a movie about his childhood, he became a movie director, art and movies in particular, became the thing that he latched onto to, like, take him out of the hardship of his life. That's a real thing. And probably a lot of people in Hollywood have had that experience. I've had that experience. On the other hand, like, guys, there's there are other things in life. And this and the, the way that this has become a crutch for end of year Oscar bait filmmakers, right? This is it's the exact same thing we saw in the artist. This is a thing that we now see repeated over and over where we have these like stories of hope and perseverance where the main way that people get through their problems in movies is by going to watch movies. And it's yeah. just it's getting kind of grating, frankly. Now it's only in one scene really. You can maybe count the play they went to as like being sort of part of this or the you know the musical moment at the very end where they're all kind of dancing and coming together i think that's those those bits are less grating but this particular thing i was like come on really chitty chitty bang bang is it's it's, it's like the emotional center of this again it's it's hannah and her sisters i mean it's literally i'm going to kill myself until i go and see a marx brothers movie and that will make me realize that life is worth living it is also it's also worth noting that it does not happen for tv this is a this is a cinematic <laughs> yeah. and live theatrical <laughs> that's, exclusive that's totally sharp. Yeah. colorization. Uh, Kenneth Branagh has no patience for your your Disney Plus shows. Um, I uh, I mean he it, he understood how Star Trek could give a little boy like a a vision of a world that they did he didn't live in. Yeah. Um, I, I let's talk a little bit uh, more about the performances here because I thought Jamie Dornan was fantastic uh, as the dad, and uh, the the woman who played the mother, whose name is escaping me, uh, was also it's great. But but Katriana Balfi, I'm thank just you. I, I can't. I can't. I apologize. I, 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 I wish I knew. I wish I knew how to pronounce it because she's yeah. absolutely no, magnificent. She's she's wonderful, and the 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 sequence at the end is the one moment that where they're dancing to uh, everlasting love is the one moment where I was like this is this is how the arts actually do bring yeah. people together. This is actually it is uh it is alongside last night in Soho, which I I don't know if you guys have seen, but last night in Soho has this very moving uh, performance right in the almost right in the middle of it where uh, a a young woman sings downtown and it is just starkly bold and beautiful it has a slightly different effect in that movie as it progresses but this is uh, another nice little stand up and sing uh sort of moment but i the, the, i i just want to highlight again Kieran Hines and Judy Dench in this who i think are probably the two uh are probably the two most likely to to maybe get award season talk mm-hmm. uh and who are just really lovely as the grandparents i mean they are they are uh, they feel lived in, as as one says, uh, in the in those roles, and I I can't could not I wish we had spent more time with them. And they both right. do a lot with relatively short screen time. I mean, Judy yeah. Dench is not in most of this movie, but she makes a huge impression. Yeah. Uh, so what do we think? Thumbs up or thumbs down on Belfast, Peter? Uh, definitely a thumbs up. As much as I complain about the Chitty Chitty Bang Bang scene, it's two minutes in an hour and 40 minute film, and I I really liked this movie. I, I, I think it's it's not quite a great, great film, but it's a very good one. Chris? Uh, very solid thumbs up. Um, it's not Roma, but, but I'm not sure that any <laughs> other movie made in the last five years is Roma. So, yes. 
It's it's a yes, it's many, a terrifically many good movie. are actually better than Roma. That's eh. that's what we need to consider. <laughs> Them's fighting words. Oh. Uh, no, uh, thumbs up. I, I mixed thumbs up for me. I mean, again, I like I I really enjoyed the beginning and I really enjoyed the end and I found myself wanting a lot more from the middle. I wanted mm-hmm. I wanted my I, mm-hmm. I found myself wanting a lot more from the. I wanted to know. I wanted to feel why these folks like needed to leave town more than I did. Can I um, ask? Just let me ask you guys one additional question. Were you thrown off at all by the Van Morrison soundtrack? Because I was. It 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 threw me out of the movie repeatedly, and no, I, I love Van Morrison, I really... and I understand why it was all scored to Van Morrison, and it makes total sense. I mean, it feels a little commercial to me, frankly. But so neither one of you had the experience. Didn't, of just I wasn't like, didn't bother I, me I, at all. I was thrown out a little bit at the very beginning when it was in color, and mm-hmm. we had the opening tour of Belfast and and Van Morrison was playing and I it just didn't feel like the movie that I was expecting to see and then it became basically the movie I was expecting to see and it didn't bother me after that I won't even say it bothers me in retrospect I just didn't understand uh, immediately what Branagh was doing with that opening sequence and now I think it's very obvious what he's doing but but when I was walk when it was presented to me for the first time I was like where are we going with this because this is not it just wasn't what exactly what I expected no, Van Morrison did not throw me at all. I didn't. There, I, I. What was it about it that threw you, Chris? Was it? Uh, it it you... may just be that I have too much experience with Van Morrison. I mean, I too much Van Morrison in your life. I, you know, I listened to Van Morrison. That doesn't sound a, like a problem. A, a ton in the seventies and eighties, and and you know, and still do. And uh, and it just it it was one of those things that reminded me it was a movie. It was just yeah. I had that that experience that. You know, that, for example, Dune did such a great job of doing the opposite of. Like, Dune, you're just lost. You have no conscious awareness of what you're doing except experiencing the movie. Um, and and in this case, every time basically Van Morrison came on, I was reminded I was watching a movie. Yeah. All right. Uh, that is it for this week's show. If you loved it, make sure to check out our members-only bonus episode on Red Notice. Uh, make sure to tell your friends. Strong recommendation from a friend is basically the only way to grow podcast audiences. If you don't grow, we'll die. If you did not love today's episode, please complain to me on Twitter at Sunny Bunch. I'll commit to you that it is, in fact, the best show in your podcast feed. See you guys next week. <laughs> <laughs>